Today's scripture reading is Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate of the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose, and he stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Well, the history of um, what are known as blue laws in America goes way back. Some of you might not be familiar with the term blue laws, but uh, another term for them are Sunday laws. And Sunday laws, these blue laws, have been around in America ever since the beginning of our country, and many of them are still around today. And these are laws and regulations that were enacted in an attempt to guarantee the free exercise of religion in uh, America and to facilitate the keeping of the fourth commandment. These laws prohibited much public work and activity on Sunday. And while most of these laws, most of these laws now have, have of course, been repealed um, in our country throughout the years, there are still a few that are still on the books in, in some states, believe it or not. For example, in, in Illinois and, and 12 other states, uh, by the way, car dealerships are not allowed to sell cars on Sunday. In Texas, in Texas, a car dealership has to decide whether or not it's going to be closed on Saturday or it's going to be closed on Sunday. Can't be open on both days. In Connecticut and Maine, hunting is banned on public properties on Sunday. And I'm familiar with this because when I was growing up in, in Michigan, that was also the case. Um, Recently, that law has been changed. But did you know in Maryland, in Maryland, I just found this out this week. In Maryland, professional sports are not allowed to play games until after 1 o'clock. I didn't know that. And in many states, including parts of Georgia, Sunday sales of alcohol are banned. And where not banned, 
there are limitations on the times and the places where it can be sold. There's just some things that people believe you shouldn't be doing on Sunday. I remember growing up, that was a big deal. When I was a, when I was a little boy growing up, that was a big deal. You don't lie on Sunday. I mean, if you caught somebody lying on Sunday, you couldn't trust them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. If they would lie on Sunday, that's just some things you just didn't do on Sunday. Because, beloved, blue laws and Sunday laws are a real thing. Still in parts of our country today because people have sought to take seriously the command of God to, quote, unquote, keep the Sabbath. To keep the Sabbath. We know from Sunday school that the Sabbath was established by God. Genesis 2, chapter, in chapter 2 and verse 2, when God, the Bible says that God on the seventh day of creation rested rested and stopped or ceased from his labors in creation. And out of this example of God came the command to God's people to take a day, one in seven, in particular, the last day of the week, to rest or cease from your week-long work and or activity. And and this was codified. This was codified for the people of God in the Decalogue, in the Ten Commandments, given to Moses for the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 9. It was established as the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment. And the, and the fourth commandment was unique. It was unique in the prominence that it was given in the, and the importance that it had in the life of God's people. Evidences and the influences of the fourth commandment were everywhere. Whether it was home or work or life or leisure, Everything centered around and evolved around the idea of Sabbath day. Sabbath day rest. The Sabbath governed much of life. But it was more than just the governance of life, beloved. It was also important because remember that the Sabbath was a sign. It's a sign given by God to Moses in Exodus 31 and verse 12. It was a sign of the Mosaic covenant. Like circumcision with Abraham and like the rainbow with Noah, the Sabbath pointed to the faithfulness and promise-keeping presence of God with his people. But it was a sign. It was a sign. And a sign signifies something greater than itself. It was, with circumcision, so it is with 
the Sabbath. My beloved, what I don't want to do this morning is get caught up in the weeds. When I was a young boy, I used to go fishing. I used to fish a lot. And one of the things you learn early on is that the big fish are in the weeds. But the problem with that, beloved, is that if you go fishing for the big fish in the weeds, you spend most of your time getting untangled from the weeds. And you don't catch many fish. And so this morning, I'm not going to get entangled in the weeds of the Sabbath. Hey, I am not here to debate the Sabbath. Whether or not it's Saturday or Sunday or what you can do or you cannot do or can you watch football but not play it? Can you go out to eat but not cook yourself? I'm not here for the weeds this morning. If you want answers to those questions, you have to see Marius. <laughs> or you have to raise your hand in Sunday school. What I want to do this morning is focus on what Jesus focused on. When he was challenged with understanding the Sabbath particularly that to which the Sabbath was pointing. Namely, the kingdom of God. For you see, beloved, in the old covenant, the Sabbath was one day in seven. But the promise of the new covenant the promise of the coming kingdom of God is that the Sabbath would be every day. That in Christ, every day is a day of rest. That in Christ, every day we cease from our labors. That in Christ, every day we find righteousness, peace, and Joy in the Holy Spirit every day. This is the kingdom of God, is it not? In Romans chapter 14 and verse, seven, in verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is the kingdom of God. Or as it says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and, and 17. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Why? Because these are shadows. These are shadows of the things that were to come. And the reality, however, is found where? In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. The good news, the good news of the kingdom of God is that in Jesus Christ, God is doing the new thing that he promised to do in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 19. The new thing that Jesus Christ has brought 
the new wine that won't fit into old wineskins, as he said in Luke chapter 5 and verse 38. It is a new day that Jesus declared to the Pharisees in our text. They were caught up in an old day. The king had come and was ushering in the revelation of the kingdom of God. And it was a new day. It's a new day. It's a day that he has ushered us into this morning. A new day. A new people. A new kingdom. And it is indeed a day of rest. It's a day of peace. It's a day of restoration, beloved. A day of rest, a day of peace, and a day of restoration. And this is what Jesus began to demonstrate and explain on that Sabbath day that he and his disciples were out in the field in Luke chapter 6 and verse 1. What we have was Jesus doing what was perceived as unrighteous on these two Sabbath accounts. The first one in Luke chapter 6 and verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. And then the Bible says that the Pharisees, who now were about dogging Jesus around, noticed that Jesus and his disciples were out in the field. And not only were they walking through the field, but his disciples began to pluck some grain. And they didn't just pluck the grain, they began to thresh the grain in their hands. And they began to eat the grain. And for the Pharisees, beloved, this was wrong. Everything about this was wrong. It was the Sabbath, and they were walking through the grain field. It was the Sabbath, and they were reaping grain. It was the Sabbath, and they were threshing the wheat. And they looked at Jesus, and they looked at his disciples, and they were indignant at Jesus. And this wasn't the only reason they were indignant, beloved. It had been building up. It had been building up, as we have seen already in Luke. Jesus had already turned over their apple carts of their religion. He had already begun to upset the natural order of things. He had, he had taught in Luke chapter 4, he had taught in the synagogue like someone who had authority, the type of authority they had never heard before, challenging them and their teachings. In Luke chapter 5, he was eating with and drinking with tax collectors and the undesirables. At the end of Luke chapter 5, he was not abiding by the fasting regulations. He nor his disciples that everybody else was abiding by. And now, and now, 
he was doing the worst thing of all, violating the Sabbath and letting his disciples do so too. And as far as they were concerned, beloved, this was not right. This wasn't right. And so the the Pharisees approached the disciples. And they questioned the disciples. They put the disciples to the test. In verse 2, they asked, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Because for them, this was wrong. And this was a strong charge, beloved. They were violating the Sabbath. And and therefore, they were charging Jesus and his disciples with unrighteousness. They were charging Jesus and his disciples with breaking the law. They were charging Jesus and his disciples with unlawfulness. And they charged the disciples because they knew and understood that the disciples were not going to argue with the Pharisees. They were in no position to argue with the Pharisees. As far as they were concerned, if the Pharisees said it was unlawful, then it must be unlawful. No one knew more than the Pharisees about the law of God. Well, except the one who was walking through the grain fields with them. Namely, Jesus Christ himself. And so while they didn't respond, Jesus did. Jesus did. And notice how Jesus responded. He did not argue with them about the law. And what he did, he argued against their understanding of things. He argued that they didn't really know what God was doing. Did they fully understand what God had been saying? There was something, something more important going on. There was something more significant than their meager understandings and the regulations that they had adopted around the Sabbath day. There was that day the revelation of God's kingdom in their midst. The king had come. Did they understand it? Well, Jesus illustrated it for them by reminding them of their most respected and prominent king, King David. King David. Verse 3 and 4, the Bible says, and Jesus answered them, says, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he, he, he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. Jesus began to Asked them to reflect for a moment on 1 Samuel chapter 21. And in 1 Samuel chapter 21, David and his men were on the run. They were on the run from Saul. 
And while on the run, they were hungry. They were desperate. And they didn't have anywhere to go. And so where did they go? They went to the house of God. And seeing the priest, David asked the priest for food. His life was at stake. His men's life were at stake. And the priest said that he had no food except the holy bread. The bread that was put out on the Sabbath and the bread that was reserved for the priests only. He had no food but the holy bread. And David said, then the holy bread is going to have to do. Now you got to understand, beloved, that that bread at that time was not for everybody. It was reserved for the priest. But Jesus here is teaching the Pharisees what they failed to understand. And that was even with David. David was foreshadowing a time when the temple food would no longer be just for some. That the house of the Lord would be filled with bread. Filled with bread and the bread would be the bread of life for all. And this is what Jesus came to embody even on that day. Listen, David, he says to them, David entered the house of God hungry, looking for the bread that saves and satisfies. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. When? Not just on the Sabbath, but shall be filled every day. Every day. As it was foreshadowed in David, so it would become a reality in Christ. David and his men ate. And God saved their lives. Now the disciples of Jesus would eat every day, anytime, because the king had ushered in the full revelation of the kingdom. And every day would be Sabbath. Every day would be rest. Every day would be the kingdom of God coming in righteousness because every day would be the kingdom in which righteousness dwells. Every day would be the day in which Christ is declared the Lord of the Sabbath. Lord, Lord over the Sabbath. Not just because he is Lord on the Sabbath, but because he is Lord every day. Every day. Because in Christ, every day is Sabbath. Every day is rest. Every day is rest. Jesus is the Lord of rest. The Lord of rest. 
He is the rest promised by God. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. Lay down thy weary one, lay down thy head upon my breast. And I came to Jesus as I was weary, worn, and sad. And I found in him a resting place, and he had made me glad. That's what Jesus is doing for his disciples right now. They had come unto Jesus, and he was giving them rest. He was feeding them because he is the bread of life who satisfies. Not just on the Sabbath, but every day. Every day. Because every day is a day of rest from him. Every day is a Sabbath, beloved. And are you tired this morning? Are you tired of the sin that so easily gets you down? Are you tired of the failures that manifest themselves every day? Are you tired of the flesh and the pressures and the influences of this world? And Jesus says, come unto him and there you find rest. Because he is Lord. Lord of the Sabbath, Lord every day, and in him is rest. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. This is what the the disciples experienced. Coming to Jesus every day, being filled and satisfied in It's a new day of rest, but it's also a new day of peace. The Bible says on another occasion, Jesus was in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, teaching. And in there was a man with a badly damaged right hand. And once again, once again, the Bible says that the Pharisees were stalking him, stalking him, watching him, seeing what he would do. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 7, And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking, looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely as he was teaching. And as this man in the synagogue manifesting this damaged hand, they watched Jesus to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. For as far as the Pharisees was concerned, the law was clear. The law again was clear. Healing or any such work was only conducted on the Sabbath if the issue was life and death. If a life was at stake, then healing or uh, or any other such work could be allowed. And, And surely Jesus was not going to violate this widely held custom. Everybody knew it. It's accepted by everybody. And Jesus surely would not violate this. This was not in the grain field, beloved. This was in the synagogue. And surely he would not act unlawfully in the synagogue. 
surely he would not violate the law in the presence of everybody. This man was not in any immediate danger. His life was not at risk. Surely Jesus would leave this off for tomorrow. Right? Would he be so bold? Would he be so brazen in front of all these people? to violate the rules and customs on the Sabbath day? They were asking, like many of us ask, will he do it? Won't he do it? Can he do it? The Bible has an answer for you this morning. Yes, he will. And yes, he can. Verse 8, chapter 6, the Bible says, But Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand. Not in the back, not off to the side, but you come stand right here in front of everyone. So he got up and he stood there because Jesus knew, beloved, who he was dealing with. And yet it was not going to stop him from dealing. And he didn't let their thoughts and their intentions stop him from being gracious. Why? Because God's goodness and God's grace is not predicated on your thoughts or my intents. Not, beloved. He doesn't wait for the proper moment to be kind. He doesn't wait for you and I to be right in order for him to be good. God is good all the time. Jesus is good all the time. And all the time he is kind. He doesn't wait for you and I, in order to be kind. In fact, beloved, he doesn't even wait for you to repent for him to be kind. For the Bible says in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 that it is his kindness and his goodness that leads to repentance. And this is what Jesus demonstrated. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 9, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or harm? Is it lawful to save life or destroy it? Is it a good time to be kind? Jesus did here, beloved, was put them to the test. He put them to the test. He put them to the test because that is what the law always does when you rightly understand it. It puts us to the test. And in putting us to the test, you know what we do? We fail. We fail, and we fail again. 
It puts us to the test again and again, and we fail and fail and fail again. It's like when we take the SAT or the ACT. I don't even know, do they even take those things anymore? I remember one of my friends got a low score the first time, and he thought, well, I just need to take it again. Well, you know what happened. He got an even lower score the next time. It was like when one of our children was taking the driver's test. I'm going to call her name. And she took the driver's test, and she failed. And we consoled her and told her that most people fail the first time. We won't do, we won't do a sure hand, but... But the only problem is that she took it again. And you can guess what happened. She failed. But that's how we are, beloved, with the law of God. That's how we are with the law of God. We, we think we can pass it, but we fail. All we do is fail. All we do is fail. This is what the Pharisees didn't understand. They thought that they were keeping the Sabbath. And Jesus is reminding them, no, all you do is fail over and over and over again. You can't pass this test. That's what the Bible says. Even if you pass the love of God part, you pass the love of each other part. You fail the love of each other part. And if you think you passing the love of each other part, you fail the love of God part. And then James reminds us in James 2 and 10 that if you offend in one point of the law, you offend in all of it. You can't pass this test. That's what Jesus is saying in that synagogue that day. And he pushed them to the test. He says, you can't pass it. And beloved, I want to suggest to you this morning that you and I can't pass it either. And you just stop trying. But instead, let Jesus take it for us. He knows the answers. And you know why he knows the answers? Because he wrote the question. He wrote the question. Is it lawful to do good? Is it lawful to save lives? Of course it is, beloved. Of course it is, because this is the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom of peace. It is the kingdom of shalom. The kingdom of Shalom. Jesus ushered in a kingdom that brings wholeness, prosperity, a kingdom of Shalom. And the day of rest is the day of Shalom. A day of peace. You know what a lack of peace means? A lack of peace means that your life is disjointed. The, the body is working against the mind. The will is working against the spirit. A man's hand is working against itself. It wasn't working right. 
And because his hand wasn't working right, the man was not at peace. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I, I, I had back pain one day. And as those who have gone through back pain know, there is no peace. Chronic pain is a disruptor of peace. Your life becomes disjointed, distracted. And here was this man. He had no peace. The kingdom of God, beloved, is a place where peace reigns, where souls are fed, where minds are renewed. It is a kingdom of shalom, where bodies are whole and life is good. What Jesus was about to demonstrate in the kingdom in which there would be, as Revelation 21 and 4 says, no more tears, no more pain, no more loss, no more hate. Whatever, whatever tears that man had cried, he was going to cry them no more. Whatever pain that man experienced, he would experience it no more. Whatever rejection he had felt, he was not going to feel it anymore. The Prince of Peace was standing in front of him, bringing to him the kingdom of Shalom. That's what the kingdom is. It's a day of peace. It's a day of peace. And there is no peace, beloved, like the peace of Jesus. There is no peace like the peace of Christ. There is no healing like the healing of the Lord. He doesn't just touch the body, but he touches the soul. And he makes the whole soul whole. Why? Because he restores. That's what the Sabbath was all about. It is a day of restoration. Restoration. kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And that righteousness, peace, and joy is a restoration of the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Lord. Notice that when Jesus healed the man with the damaged hand, the Bible says in Luke 6 and 10, that he restored his hand. He restored his hand. Because the kingdom of God is a restoration 
of righteousness, peace, and joy. The kingdom of God is a restoration of rest. The kingdom of God is a restoration of peace. The kingdom of God is a restoration of life. What was lost in the garden, peace and joy, Christ has come to restore. What the first Adam broke, the second Adam, Christ, has come to make new again. He restores. He restores peace. He restores joy. The Sabbath, beloved, the Sabbath was a promise, a promise of full and final restoration of all things. And if anything could be done on the Sabbath, it was restoration. The Sabbath is for. It's for rest that restores. It's for rest that restores. Should Jesus have restored this man's hand on the Sabbath? Of course he should. This is what the Sabbath is all about. This is why God gave Moses the Sabbath in the first place. This is what Jesus came to fulfill. Every Lord's Day, every Lord's Day is a declaration of restoration. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we gather every Lord's Day. So that you and I can be reminded, like the wine and said, restoration has finally come. Been restored back to your place in God. It's what happens when you come into the kingdom of God. Jesus comes and makes it right. Whatever was withering on the vine, Christ comes and makes it right. Restoring what sin had broken. Restoring what the devil had stolen. Restoring what the world has contaminated. Restoring, as David said in Psalm 51 and verse 12, the joy of yours and my salvation. This is what the Sabbath is supposed to be all about. What do you mean, is it lawful for, this, for, this, for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath? Of course it is. That's what the Sabbath is all about. What do you mean, is it lawful for God's people to be fed on the Sabbath? Of course it is. That's what the Sabbath is all about. What do you mean, is it lawful to experience full restoration in God on the Lord's day? Of course you do. That's what the Lord's day is all about. It's given as a day of rejoicing because in the coming kingdom, beloved, every day will be a Sabbath because every day you and I will be rejoicing. When we all get to heaven, the old song says, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We will sing and shout the victory.
the Sabbath, beloved, was given as a foretaste of heaven. It was not given and it was not meant to dog people and to put them through hell. It was a foretaste of heaven. Christ comes and says, restoration has begun. The Lord's day has come. Anybody know what today is? What holiday is today? Super Bowl Sunday. Super Bowl Sunday. One of the most festive holidays of the year. So festive that one out of every ten workers is going to call out sick tomorrow. <laughs> truth. 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 It's a day filled with food and drink and football. It's a day filled with family and fellowship and fun and more football. It's a day full of funny commercials and halftime entertainment and more football. And millions and millions and millions of people will miss work tomorrow because they will be celebrating today. Because it's Super Bowl Sunday. Beloved, I want you to hear me. Because I want you to understand that even Super Bowl Sunday does not begin to compare to the eternal Sabbath, the eternal Lord's Day, awaiting all those trusting in Jesus this morning. And when the kingdom fully comes, there will be more food, there will be more fellowship, there will be more family, and who knows, maybe even more football than you could ever, ever, ever imagine. That's why we pray, oh Lord, we, we pray for the full revelation and the restoration of the joy and the peace and the rest that comes in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. This is why any type of celebration in this world, beloved, should remind us that there is a greater celebration coming. Anytime you are privileged to attend any type of festive activity, it should remind you that there is a greater festival awaiting. Anytime that you sit down to a wonderful feast, it should remind you that there is yet a greater feast being prepared for you. And 
that's why we say, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. We make our hearts ready by entering into that rest today so that when he comes, we are ready. Come, Lord Jesus.